welcome to the Men in Lead podcast. What is up, my Sunlight Samurais? Today I have Brent Dolan on the show. He has been a preacher's kid and a minister himself. He's been a youth pastor. He has spoken in front of small and large audiences, and he is the host of The Fallible Man. He has dedicated a large portion of his adult life to helping men improve being better than themselves, inspiring them and helping to build them up, learning how they can become better versions of themselves. So hope you enjoy this conversation with Brent Dolan. How is it going? Uh, well, yourself? It's great. What time is it there? It's uh, 9 a.m. How um, Did you have an early morning? Is this regular time for you? Uh, I'm actually generally up at four o'clock pretty much every day. That is requires a lot of discipline. Why do you wake up so early? Um, I have two little girls, and so it's just a matter of time. It's uh, when I can get, I function better in the mornings than I do at night. So it's when I can get more stuff done without interruption than not. So, is it easy for you to wake up so early? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, it is not my favorite thing to do, but it is just kind of a necessary evil for me, you know? Yeah. How early do you go to bed then? Uh, I usually go to bed between nine and 10. Okay. I, I, I try to be closer to nine so I can get about seven hours or so, but. When do you put your girls to bed? I put my children down between seven thirty and eight usually. Okay, and then you have a little bit of time with your wife still to uh, spend some time before you go to bed. Right. Uh, do you feel like... Sorry, what's that? And she's a night owl, so she yeah. puts me to bed and she's up for another couple hours. Do, do you feel like spending that one or so hour with her is enough time? No, absolutely not. Do you uh, make up in other ways? We try. We. Uh, I just recently started dating my wife again or... That, that's the way I would term it. We've been married. We just celebrated our 21st anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, 21 years now. And honestly, like when, when my kids were born, my oldest daughter is 10, our dating life, we, we stopped going out very often, right? A uh, couple with small children, you're trying to get into that routine and figure out what works. And, you know, then you got to feed the baby and change the baby, right? So a lot of things come into play. You stop going to movies because one of you misses half the movie because someone's out with a baby at some point right and so we just started probably in the last year trying to focus on actually going out and having a date night you know at least every week or two so that's she's also my business partner in this so we also talk a lot of business that way we try and separate those out we try and have business meetings versus date night but that doesn't always work yeah same year i same year same boat um so you run this podcast this business the infallible mail and so can you like document that? How did that all start? <laughs> that was a crazy journey. Um, that really, where it is now and what it started is are two, two totally different things. I started out writing a book. Um, I used to be a youth minister. I have a background in ministry. And I've always had a lot of female friends. And I've always had a lot of female friends that were just you know platonic friends. And they would complain about their boyfriends or complain about their uh, husbands. And my wife's friends would be like, why can't more guys be like you? Why do you understand this? But other guys I talk to don't understand this. And it's like, 
I don't know because I was raised with a lot of women in my house, maybe. I don't know. But uh, dealing with like young teenage girls, dealing with young men who were not being raised with the focus on just being a good man, right? Uh, whether that was fatherless homes or fathers who were physically present, but really kind of absentee, right? They worked all the time. They didn't spend time with their kids. And then my nieces, I have seven nieces and at least four of them are in their twenties now. And I started looking at the guys they were bringing home and the guys they were having problems with bringing home. And it was just like, wow, there is this, this problem. Right. And, and I've had friends kind of tease me for years, like, Hey, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I had a few more serious friends, but like, no, really, you need to write down some of these things you've learned and some of these things, you know, uh, to help us decode the men in our lives so we can communicate with them better and vice versa. And I started writing this book and I mean, I I'm a hundred some odd pages into it and it's my first draft, right? I, I've never written a book. I, I don't know anything about this. And I started thinking, it's like, wow, I should figure out a way to build an audience because, you know, otherwise no one, but me and my mom are going to buy this. Right. Yeah. Uh, I started looking into self-publishing cause I know I'm nobody. So it's not like a publishing house is going to pick me up or something. And so I started looking at that. I was like, well, I'll get on social media, right? That's what you do these days. You get on Instagram and you become Insta famous somehow. And you post some stuff and I knew nothing about social media. I didn't have any social media accounts before I started doing this, which I hate social media. It turns out <laughs> not a great platform for me, but, and I have eight social media accounts or nine. I'm losing track. I have eight or nine different social media accounts, like different platforms, because there are a bazillion of them. But I started working on that. And it's like, I really kind of hate this. And so I started looking for another medium. It's like, what can I do? Well, I talk. I'm, I'm a minister's son. I'm a former minister. I can talk. I'm good at that. I've spoken in front of over a thousand people. Doesn't phase me. So I thought, okay, podcasting. Podcasting is good. I, I can do a podcast because I just got to talk. Then I thought, well, while I'm talking, I might as well turn on a camera. And I'll just, I'm not going to like become a YouTuber. I'll just, you know, post the videos on YouTube because I watch podcasts on YouTube. That's actually where I started watching podcasts was on YouTube. So I thought, eh, I don't really, you know, I'll adjust my lights in my room and I'll turn on a camera and it'll be no big deal. And I might as well, you know, double down, right? Audio and video. And yeah, it just kind of... <laughs> A lot of money invested in higher quality equipment later and uh, 200 plus YouTube videos later. Uh, here I am in this crazy existence of, I put out three videos a week. If you include my podcast on YouTube, I have a live stream, a video, my podcast, and then a video on Fridays. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> if you had told me back in September, 2020, when I started posting podcasts, that this is what life would look like. I'd be like, <laughs> you're funny. Uh, just did not expect this at all. Do you enjoy it? I do. I, I enjoy it more. Um, my live stream actually, actually makes me nervous because I can speak in front of people, but when you can see them, you can kind of gauge, right? You pick a couple of people out of the crowd and you can gauge like, oh, I need to pick it up. I'm losing them here. Or, oh, I need to explain this further. On the live stream, unless people are active in the chat, 
it, it's kind of ambiguous. You're like, I don't know if anybody likes this or not. So that, that makes me a little anxious still the podcast. I've just kind of settled into it since I pre-record all that. Um, but I do enjoy it mainly when I connect with somebody, I still value the one-on-one connection so much more. In fact, we're actually preparing in June. We're having our first in-person conference called the Phoenix. And uh, I've been working in overtime to finish wrapping that up and get that all put together. But I'm looking forward to that because at a live event, I can connect with people. I can actually get face to face with someone and make meaningful connections. And at the end of the day, that's what I want to accomplish with the fallible man. I want to make meaningful connections with other men to help encourage them on their journeys as I'm on my journey. Right. And so there are parts of it. I love, and there are days is like, I got to get this video out, man. I got to keep on schedule. Um, it, It makes having to plan ahead and a must when you have a release schedule, I yeah. am my count. Cal- I live and die by my calendar. So yeah, yeah I understand. I, I kind of like feel the same way. Like you love what you do, but sometimes, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Like you have to get this stuff out and sometimes stuff happens in life. It's like, we should things could just slow down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But are you aware of the red bull community? The red bull community, the red pill, the red pill community. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, familiar with is i am aware of it i've uh seen some of the stuff and i mean i'm, I'm assuming when you say community you're talking about not the specific group because there is a specific red pill group but there's a larger community talking about the subject matter i i don't i, I don't participate in the forums or anything like that i've just read uh, rollo tomasi's books specifically okay i have not read any of his books i do actually follow several groups that are technically in that community i follow like the 21 conference um order of man uh i've done several things with other dads podcasts and so I, i'm aware of going on i have mixed feelings about some of it for sure okay yeah i wanted to ask you like what is the things that you agree most with and the things you disagree most with when it comes to that community because uh, let me just preface this because you talk about you help the woman in like the nieces and everything, like how can they better understand a man? But like the Red Bull community is more like, how can you better understand how the woman thinks? So it's almost like inverse. So, so uh, with that being said, like how, what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Well, and that's complicated because I actually focus my attention on helping men grow themselves personally. And part of that also includes understanding how women think as well. So I, I kind of play, I've been told I don't niche down enough to really take off on YouTube but men are a holistic thing, right? You're, you're a full person. There's a lot of pieces to you. I can't just, I don't want to talk about just dads. I don't want to talk about just uh, husbands. I don't want to talk about just understanding women, right? I, I want to holistically help men grow. So when we get into those communities, you have good and bad with those communities, right? Because it, it's like we have two extremes. We never seem to land in the middle of the pendulum swing, Right. We have the red pill guys who are like uh, the MGTOW movement. Are you familiar with the MGTOW movement? Men going their own way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Screw women. They're they're there to entertain us from time to time, but don't get serious. Don't get involved. They bring nothing but trouble. And then you have guys who go to and on that extreme, you generally get those guys who are like, uh, I just want to be a bit of a player and have my fun, but I don't want to have serious relationships and the super alpha macho guys i was watching a guy on youtube the other day and he's like 
howling and grunting at the camera. I'm like, you're an idiot. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. That's, that's too far. And that, that's the problem. So on the other side of that, we get the guys who want us to become super sensitive and, you know, cry on our girlfriend's shoulders or our wife's shoulders and share every emotional. And it's like, "Ah, see, I think that's too far. The other direction. We can't ever seem to settle in that middle ground where yes, we have emotions, we have feelings and we have to deal with them as men, right? I don't understand how women say we don't have emotions or we don't deal with our emotions. Okay. I will say sometimes we don't always deal with our emotions, but we're taught to bury our emotions just by societal standards. We're taught to bury our emotions and just produce. That's our job. Our job is to produce. Our job is to go to work and provide and produce. And that's it. That is our value. I love the meme where it talks about, you know, only babies and puppies are loved for just existing um, because there's some truth to that, right? As a male, if you aren't producing to some extent, to some level where you can help provide for another person, whether that's a child or a spouse or a girlfriend or whatever, then you're not seen as valuable. Just because you exist, you don't have net value in society. Now, as a person, you absolutely have value. Society doesn't value you that, you know, without that kind of performance. So, you know, I get where it's like I'm, I'm trying to fight two cliches at once, right? I, I have a hat. I'll take this off and show the camera for all of our listeners. I have a hat that says toxic masculinity and toxic class crossed out and it says essential over the top of it. I think masculinity is essential. I think men and women were made to combine to make something better, right? Not, not just combine to make a baby, but right. We complement each other. We make each other whole. We have strengths. Women have strengths together. We make something bigger than ourselves and better than ourselves. Right. But we go to these extremes where people are screaming, Oh, toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity. That's horrible. We go to these extremes like, Oh, let's feminize men. And then we go to these extremes, this direction, away from all that and go, oh no, we're just going to be alpha men and, rawr, 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 and beat our chest and go back to being cavemen and scream about how macho we are. <laughs> and it, it's just this extremism in any direction is ridiculous. So you're fighting both ways on that. I'm, I'm definitely against the whole toxic masculinity nonsense. I see spewed on social media, internet culture. I'm also against these hyper if you have to run around beating your chest and go i'm an alpha male you're probably not i just i'm just saying and really alpha male is kind of a social construct we recognize that that comes out of nature right we look at that we look at uh the the male lion for a pride right and we look at the alpha wolf in a pack but we don't look at it objectively we just we just like the imagery right? You got a bear behind you, right? We love big, beautiful animals that are powerful and strong. We love that iconic imagery and there's nothing wrong with that. I got a lion tattoo on this arm, but it isn't us, right? That's not how the evolution of man has occurred. We as a society don't have those norms. We're not running out and hunting to provide our food. We're not still fending off marauders. Well, I guess depending on where you live, that could be an issue right now. But we're, we're not fending off marauders on a daily basis to protect our home and our family. At least I hope not. So trying to apply these concepts to 
societal norms at this point. And yes, there are definitely males that stand out. Uh, I did a whole podcast on it because it's, it's, it's driving me insane to just listen to the rhetoric and the nonsense. And so in the red pill community, you got to mix of both, right? That, that's the problem. There's nothing wrong with feminism, but you have extremist feminists and you've got really mild feminists and then you just got some feminists in the middle, right? With the same thing with male culture, you have the same thing. You got the guys who are just screaming to this end and to this end. And then you have all of us in the middle who are going, I'm not quite sure I agree with you. And I definitely don't agree with you. How about we kind of meet there somewhere in the middle? So you got both in that community. Um, I'm really against the concept of men going their own way. Men were not made to survive without balance. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not us. If you leave us to our own devices, men don't thrive. We were meant to be balanced out. Yeah. Like when, when I think about an alpha male, I don't think about like necessarily a person. I think about their traits that make someone alpha. So for example, someone that's beating their chest, that's not an alpha trait. You might think that's how you display it, but it's not. It's most likely a compensation for insecurity inside. So I wanted to ask you like, uh, let's say we talk about an alpha male and there's a specific traits. What would you see as alpha traits specifically? See, I, I think the concept of the alpha male traits, the things that we value really say, I, and I like that you phrase them as traits because I think that's what it is, right? I think a lot of those are a combination of what we would define as like stepping up and being a man, right? As we would define it as saying, men take care of others. Men are altruistic. They have sense of community. Men provide for their families. They care for their families. They take care of their friends around them. They help provide, right? These are traits that we consider manly, right? Or masculine. And I think the alpha male portion of that really comes in when you start to marriage the idea of uh, a men, you know, living in a healthy lifestyle, taking care of, providing for, uh, living their best selves, right? And you start to meld in the characteristic of really great leadership. And I, I think somewhere in the middle, we we start to develop that alpha male trait profile, right? If you look at what we would call alpha male traits, I would generally consider men who are quote unquote alpha males to be leaders. Right. If you look at a group of men, you can always p tell who the leader is. It, it takes no time at all. Look at a group of men is like, oh, yeah, there's there's the alpha male. Right. That is the guy that everybody wants. That's the guy the girls want to be with and the men want to hang out with. And that's why they're a group. And there might be other men in that who are also display some of those traits, but they stand out. And I, I think leadership has become identified as an alpha male trait. Um. We look at overall health, right? Alpha males, generally, the people we consider to have alpha traits would also take care of themselves health-wise because there's a value in that. Yeah. I know I need to lose some weight. Sitting at a computer for the last 10 years because my nine-to-five job is an IT job has taken a toll on my waistline. I'm not as heavy as I could be. Thank goodness. I have tried to keep it off, and I do try and keep it pretty healthy. Uh, healthy gym schedule, but I know I need to work on my weight and it's something I'm actively doing, right? Dieting, because I recognize that my health is important for my overall value, not just for myself, but for me to be a good father, right? I want to be able to play with my children and be active with them as they grow up. So I think that 
as we've evolved, men that we would call alpha start to understand that their physical and uh, mental well-being and emotional well-being even are important. They have to take the time. I'm seeing more and more guys who are taking up meditation or journaling. They're getting into things like jujitsu to build discipline, um, which jujitsu in itself is cool, right? I've never done jujitsu, but I, I think it's very cool. I think uh, I enjoy the martial arts. I think they're spectacular for teaching discipline. I, you know, got into a fight with a couple of uh, Taekwondo students one day and years ago and was like, wow, I'm never taking that one. Uh, so, you know, but the overall value that it brings, right. It's just like being involved in sports. You get discipline out of those sports. And so men are flocking to jujitsu because it's physical. And we really, at this point in our lives are not as physical as we should be. And so that's great. It creates a physical outlet. The combat uh, actually is very nurturing for a male spirit. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of that, but I also love the discipline that comes out of it. Uh, so I think the alpha traits would be men who are recognizing the physical and emotional and mental well-being is critical to their life. They have to take care of those facets of who they are for them to be successful or happy or to achieve the things they want to. Um, I would say altruist, alt, altruism, I, that word, that's a big word, right? I, I, I had to look that one up the first time I heard it for sure. Uh, but being community minded, right? I think alpha males are what we would call an alpha male trait are men who also are looking at the immediate community around them. That starts with yourself and then with your family, your circle of friends, but then it expands to your community. And that might be your church community or a men's group. That might be scouting. That might be your community at large. But I think an alpha male trait would be men who are interested in serving something bigger than themselves. Uh, I think military, right? And police, we, we call the altruistic because they're serving a greater need. They're serving their communities. They're serving their countries or whatever you want to say, right? Firemen are very altruistic, right? I, I know a lot of firemen. I, I have several friends who are firemen and you know they, they get paid an okay wage, but I would not call it a great wage to run into a burning building and risk their life over and over again. They don't do it for that. My grandfather was a fire chief. You don't run into danger because you're getting paid. You run into danger because you're placing value on something else above you. So I think that would definitely qualify as an alpha male trait. Yeah. I think respect is an alpha male trait. Treating people with courtesy and respect whether that's a, just someone you meet, uh, you know, I, I'm old fashioned. I like handshakes. I, I think uh, at 42, I think handshakes are a dying art. I think men should look each other in the eyes and shake hands. And that should be used to, that was a, that was legally binding. And in some places that law hasn't been written off yet, but it is going away. I think it should be legally binding. That's enough for me. If I'm face-to-face -face with another man that I have a decent relationship, you shake my hand, we're done. That's it. The deal is done. You're going to follow up on that. I think alpha male characteristics include integrity and honor, right? Yeah. No one should be having to look over your shoulder to double check you. You should be keeping yourself in check, right? 
So I don't know. I, 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 we can sit here and pick through all the traits all day if you want, but yeah, those are off the top of my head. Those are key to me. Have you ever heard about the book Awareness by Anthony DeMello? No, I think I've heard of the book. I haven't read it. So um, I might be communicating this, the theme wrongly, but he talks a lot about, this is just my understanding of the book, how people do a lot of things because their own like out of the selfishness. So mm-hmm. every time we talk about okay, like someone is doing something for others, that is also a selfish trait in a sense, because it makes you feel good. Why do you help others? Because it makes you feel good. It's not necessarily wrong to help others, but you should be aware of why you do it because deep inside, it could be a reason because you want to feel good about something that you do. And just doing something for someone else is your way of feeling good, better about yourself. Let's say we talk about an alpha male. We have the guy that's kind of like the alpha male of the pack. Everyone is flocking to him. I can, you can always see that person as having a need to be recognized by other people. Mm-hmm. So that is his need. So he has developed a charisma that attracts people to him, which I will also say is a compensation, not necessarily because he's alpha. Now he is perhaps, um, he didn't perhaps get enough love from his parents or something. Now he wants love from other people. And now he has developed this sense of attracting people. It's not necessarily, it's just, you know, this, this thing about becoming aware, why is someone doing what they are doing? So it's not like uh, that person you know, all the people love him. So for that first reason, he is an alpha male. Um, mm-hmm. So for example, some traits that I think is an alpha male is you are in a sense, not caring. Uh, you care about other people, but you don't care. Like if you help someone and they um, are not happy with you, like I don't care about it because like I've done my part. I, I've, uh, I've been honorable. You know, I've kept my word. Like if you, um, or in another case would be like, let's say you're not being intimidated by someone else. Let's say you take, for example, Donald Trump. He is uh, he's a savage in business, but you might not see him as being an alpha, but he is like so good. What he's an alpha male when it comes to business. Um, so it's just, I love these traits. And that's why I like to call them traits because I think like they can be developed. Like how do you, do you also feel they can be developed? Oh yes, ab- absolutely. I think. That, that's why I said, I think it's a combination of some of the older values that we placed on men, right? People, people love like uh, mad men and stuff like that on TV, right? We love the 1950s, 1940s, nice hat guys in suits and deals. And they had a certain charm about them and they drink martinis or whatever that crap. And but we, we like some of the idealistic traits that came out of that time, like being able to being able to provide opening doors, stuff like that. Right. But, you know, that's, that's why I said it's a marriage thing because it's great leadership and great leaders can be born. There are some people who have natural leadership instincts, but I also know people who were not born with those instincts who turn out to be fantastic leaders because they worked on themselves. Likewise, there are a lot of men that just command an amount like you can just like just being around them, you just feel it in the air. You can feel their presence, their essence, right? And they may not have been born in that way, but they have developed themselves. They have worked on themselves. They have critiqued. They have put in the laps for lack of a better term, right? They put in the paces to build themselves up, to become who they wanted to become. I think anybody can do that, right? 
you want to be more humble, you have to start, you know, digging into your own attitude. You have to become aware of why you're doing things and you have to learn to have discipline. You have to learn to have a little stoicism. I'm not huge into stoicism, but I think there are some decent teachings that come out of stoics, right? I think men should not be controlled by their emotions. You have to recognize you have them. You have to deal with them at some point, but you do not let them dictate how you act and how you react to things, right? All these things can be developed. You want to have more integrity, practice telling the truth and doing the right thing and hold yourself accountable when you don't. You want to communicate better, right? That's, these are all learnable traits. And that's why I get a kick out of the whole alpha male thing, because there's these d- just huge fights over, well, you are, or you're not. Now that's a bunch of crap. It is, it's not, you are, or you not. I have had the privilege of knowing some outstanding special forces guys. And the very best ones, most of the time, you don't know, unless you know what they do, you don't know. They don't call attention to themselves. They don't look for fights. They don't go out big. They try to blend in and be calm and draw attention to themselves. But those are some serious dudes, right? They, they would click all those boxes. They know how to lead. They're physically in amazing shape. They know how to execute a plan. They know how to take care of people right? These are all characteristics we value as alpha traits, right? But if you run into them in everyday life, you wouldn't know it because they don't advertise it. They don't have to go around and go beat their chest and right. And so these are all things. And and in the special forces, they take people who have ability and build you. No one goes in the special forces, Superman. No one goes in to be a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret, or I don't know, you're in South Africa, right? I don't know what what the name is of your special forces units, right? Me neither. <laughs> well, I know they have them because I, I was in that community enough to, to know. It was like, oh, yeah, no, those are guys you don't mess with. And they weren't born that way. They were, they were forged, right? Those traits are forged through hard effort, discipline, and just repeated focus on building yourself into that person if you want to okay let me ask backtrack a little bit when you were a youth pastor and you were talking in front of lots of people did that just come naturally or did, was it something you had to build up and get over that anxiety for me um i'm not going to say it came naturally but at the same time it felt like it came naturally uh, my father was a minister for 47 years um specifically for My dad would work with smaller churches. He was a domestic missionary in the United States. Uh, I mean, he went to Shanghai and to the Philippines and a couple other places for short trips, but he was domestic missionary and he worked with small churches that were struggling from a transition. So being at small churches, the pastor's family does a lot of work. Uh, My mom was teaching younger kids. My brother was teaching older kids. As I grew up, I grew up teaching different age groups. I grew up leading the services. I started leading worship when I was 11 years old, standing in front of 200 plus people leading worship when I was 11 years old. So by the time I was up speaking in front of people, it's hard enough to speak in front of people. Try standing there because we grew up in a acapella church, no musical instruments, all just singing, right? Stand in front of 200 adults as an 11 year old and start songs. I hope you're starting (laughs) them right. 
Uh, so you just, you learn to, it wasn't that it came natural. It was just a natural progression of the way my life worked growing up. And then when I was in high school, I was on dive team and I just stopped being embarrassed about anything after that because, you know, swimmers are wearing almost nothing. And I was on dive team. So I'm standing on a board in front of an entire quiet swimming pool with everybody staring at me. You just, you just have no, (laughs) after that, you're just like, yeah, I can, I can, I can do anything, man. Oh, you saw that? No, I'm cool. (laughs) That's excellent. Uh, Talk about something that just makes you self-conscious, right? You either get past it or you can't do it. Yeah. Uh, you have to cut off. Back dives were the worst because you back out to the end of the board and turn around and stand on the end of the board and you're just standing there getting ready for your dive. And the entire building is focused on your butt <laughs> because you're wearing this Speedo that is too small. <laughs> and so, yeah, you get over the whole self-conscious thing after that. Yeah. Standing in front of people talking was like, psh. No problem. Yeah. Once you hit a degree, you do it. You're just like, ah, okay, yeah, hey, what's up? Yeah, I I can't tell you how many events I I still work with one large scale youth event. We have a couple hundred people every year, uh, and the amount of times I'm one of the directors for the event, but the amount of times I've had to just walk on the stage because the guy who was emceeing wasn't where he should be, and it was time to go. Right, it was time to start from a break and, or something, or to transition people around the amount of times I've had to walk on stage and and just start leading singing because my worship team wasn't there. Right. After a while, you just don't think about it. You walk up on stage, you pick up the mic and you go to work. That's excellent. So it it kind of like seemed to me like you were kind of like forced into it. You know, you start from a young age, things just happened in high school. You just had to do it. Like if you wanted to participate, you just had to do it. So what for someone that is now in their twenties, they were kind of like an introvert during high school, their early life, and they were okay with it. And now they're in their 20s saying like, I am very unsatisfied with my life. Well, how can I change? I want to change, but there's no more circumstances that force me to change. So how can I change? No, no, that's a very valid question. That's a good question. And the answer is force yourself. Step in, step into it, right? Maybe you go to church, volunteer the lead. Get up there and say a prayer. Get up there and be an usher. Put yourself in a position where you have to interact with other people where attention is called to you. At work, if you're in a team meeting, speak up. Say something, right? Take on the responsibility. The only way through it sometimes is just through it. I do uh, obstacle course events, Spartan, Tough Mudder, stuff like that. And one of the things Tough Mudder's talks about is get comfortable being uncomfortable right or when was the last time you did something new and challenging yeah that's that's the only way to do it right the only way you're going to get stronger is if you get under the weights and do it yeah that's exactly what my next question was to you is that like very few people do something new that also makes them afraid that is challenging that's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable so do you think you kind of like just answered that maybe you can elaborate on that it's like what do you think people can implement that like like a physical thing that can have a carryover effect like for example in my life now i never rollerbladed when mm-hmm. during my teens or whatnot and now that i'm in my late 20s i started rollerblading so that might seem silly oh you're rollerblading that's nothing but you know you're very self-aware because you've never rollerbladed you're a noob and now i'm also like going with the dog so they are pulling me on the rollerblades 
in the neighborhood so people can be looking at you. You feel very uncomfortable because you're a noob, so to speak. But I feel mm-hmm. like doing something like that can really give you the confidence to, like, I don't care what other people think anymore. Like, you know, if I fall, I don't care. Now, stuff happens. You shouldn't be embarrassed about it. I think, like, an activity like that can really help you to carry over into other aspects of life, make you more fearless. I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I was a rollerblading kid. I think I'd die at 42. I've injured myself enough. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd break something with all the injuries I've accru- accrued at this point in my life. But uh, I loved rollerblading. But no, it's it's the idea of, right? And, and I get it. For some people, it's really, it's terrifying. It's truly terrifying for them to step out of that comfort zone and try and take on something new, right? We are told that failure is unacceptable. Well, failure is the ultimate teacher. I love failure. Failure is my friend. I am the king of failing. <laughs> if you don't fail, you don't learn anything, but it, but it is intimidating. So the, you kind of got to work into it for some people, right? Especially for people who are introverted. My wife's an introvert. You have to work into it. So I try to teach people to start building small and build success after success, right? Uh, I had a friend who was a Navy SEAL and I, people have said it before on the internet. So you probably heard it before, but one of the first things they teach you to do as a Navy SEAL is to make your bed. Every morning you get up, you make your bed, right? That's a win. And that's something that I teach at the fallible man is stack little wins, right? You got to build momentum sometimes to those new things. So put on your punch list for the day. When you get up, if you don't do it already, make your bed. Next, check off the next box, right? I'm going to get up at this time. I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to get ready for my day. I'm going to drink eight ounces of water. I'm going to move for five minutes, whether that's, you know, burpees or jumping jacks or walking or something, right? I'm going to do something active for five minutes. Start building little successes before you take on something that scares you, build some momentum of little wins and little successes. And so when you get to that thing that scares you, right, put it later in the day and then like, okay, you know what? I've done this already. I've done this. Today is a win column because I've already done all these things and successfully knocked these off my punch list. Guys are particularly proud of punch list, right? So actually like write yourself a list and just check those boxes off. Go down that list. And that is just, you can see the success, you momentum you're building for the day, right? And then you get to that one thing and we start with something that's small right? Something that scares you, but maybe it's not climbing Mount Everest or rollerblading with your dog through the neighborhood. Maybe it's, you know, I'm going to share an opinion in the team meetings today. And it, it takes, what was it? There was a movie I watched year. It's called, we built a zoo or no, we bought a zoo. Uh, it's based on a true story, but the main character in that has this thing that his brother told him that he has just lived by and it's 10 seconds of courage. You need 10 seconds of pure unadulterated courage. And it it is such a valuable insight because anybody can come up with 10 seconds of courage. That's all you really need. So after you've already built your wins, you take a deep breath and you need, you need 10 seconds of pure mind blowing, fearless courage. And you speak up at the meeting that once, Hey, I was wondering about this or, Hey, I had this idea about doing this. And I think would help the company. 
you, you did it. It's over before you're done being courageous, right? That's like four seconds worth of courage. You, you still got six to go. So you're doing well, right? It takes one deep breath. It takes 10 seconds of courage. Uh, you're a workout guy, right? I was looking at your podcast. Um, how much easier, right? We, we all have days we don't want to go to the gym. We all have those days where we're just like, man, my bed is comfortable or I'm so busy today or I got to get to bed. And it's just not, if you actually get your foot in the door and start, I, I've made a rule for myself, right? If I hit that point, 20 minutes, I go in and I start exercising. And if I'm still not feeling it after 20 minutes, I'll go home. But right. 99% of the time I'm in it. I, I get 10 minutes in my workout. I'm in and I didn't want to be there. I've had some of my best workouts on those days where I just did not want to go to the gym. You just need to muster the courage to get in the car, go to the gym, walk through the door and start. Right. And, and that's how you start anything. That's how you get on the rollerblades. You're like <laughs> strapping them on your feet. Your dog's sitting there and you're like, all right, I'm going to stand up now. 10 seconds of courage, man. You, okay. I'm going to stand up and we're going to start moving. You just got to get that initial momentum started. And that's how people can change their lives. Little incremental traits, right? You build, that's, that's one of the biggest things we talk about at the foul man is incremental growth. I'm not talking. I, I hate people who set astronomical goals, right? The new year's Eve stuff, right? New year's resolutions. Oh, you're done. 86% failure rate. Good, good on you because they skip all the little stuff. James Clear in Atomic Habits talks about sometimes it's, it's the little habits you got to start with. He had one client who lost hundred pounds, right? The guy was not a workout guy, but how he did it for the first two or three months, every day he got up, he drove to the gym. He was there for five minutes and he left. Every single day for like two or three months until getting up and going to the gym was second nature. Sometimes we skip those little steps that are absolutely critical to our success in a bigger step. And so, you know, I'm not looking for today. I'm going to be a totally different person. No, today I want you to take five minutes and go for a walk. If you don't get out and walk very often, if you don't move very often, great. Spend five minutes walking today. And do it again tomorrow and do it again the next day. But that's one little improvement that makes you better today because you're doing something for your health. Don't start crazy. Read five pages. Today, I'm going to read five pages. Today, I'm going to listen to this audiobook for five minutes. It's the same idea. People don't understand gym progression if they're not gym people. You hit a point where I added a pound to the bar. That's huge, Right. And when you first start going out, you're like a pound. When you first start working out, you're like, I, you added a pound. Yeah, you don't understand how long it takes to add a pound once you hit a certain point, right? Or that one extra rep. I've had clients in the gym where it's like, no, dude, you're doing so much better. He's like, I'm still doing the same weight for the same amount of sets. I said, yeah, but it's taking you less time to get through the sets because your rest time is decreasing. That's growth. That's improvement. It's incremental improvement. It's hard to see unless you have an objective outside opinion, 
But as a trainer, I see that. I see someone take that shorter break and shorter break. And then all of a sudden we finish that last rep on that last set. And they're like, what's next? Yeah. yeah, buddy. Now it's time to add a little more weight or another rep, right? You look for those little factors. People need the same thing when they're trying to grow themselves, when they're trying to do something new, when they're trying to get out of the shell, take the little wins because they're still wins and just build little win after little win after little win. And all of a sudden those little wins add up to a lot of win. Yeah, that, that's a key. That's awesome. I really like that because a lot of people say like, you know, it didn't work for me, but you dove into it like with humongous goals. You should start small, like 10 seconds of courage. That's awesome. I've never heard that before. It's, it's really great. It's, it's just, you just need that. Just do it. It's just like 10 seconds. Think about it. It's just 10 seconds. It's so small. What is that really? <laughs> That's awesome. Right? Everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. That's yeah. how you act out a pretty girl that you don't know. Yeah. I mean, seriously, you see, you see a woman that you want to ask out. You need 10 seconds of courage. That's all you need. Yeah. You, you have a choice, right? You're looking at signing up to go do this or to try out this. 10 seconds of courage will get you across that line. That's all you need. So people when you work, sorry, yeah? People want big. They don't want little. That is true. And it takes time. It takes time. So when, since you said that you experienced a lot of failures and a lot of embarrassing moments, can you like uh, elaborate on what might have been the most embarrassing uh, moment? <laughs> um, you know, ironically, I don't, embarrassment is not something I, I experience very often. I'm not a, uh, that's just not the way my brain processes things most of the time. And I think it's because I was exposed to public speaking and being in front of the public so often when I was young, that embarrassment isn't something that really happens. You know, you have the, I have those moments where I feel a little self-conscious, right? Uh, 2020, I, January, 2020, um, the pandemic was just starting to reach the U S I was at the gym and I was going for a PR on a, uh, yoke walk familiar with yoke walks. Yeah. Okay. So for all of you guys listening to yoke walk, if you're not familiar with that is what you see in the strongman events where they're carrying a refrigerator on each side of them. It's usually a middle metal apparatus with something stupidly heavy on the outside of it. Uh, the gym I was at didn't have one of those. So I have yoke straps actually in my backpack and they're just a heavy duty strap and they slide through the weight stack of weight plates and then over the end of a barbell, but they're strapped. So they're a little bit fluid. It's not the rigidity of an actual, uh, yoke implement and i was going for a pr I, it was just the next step things have been going well so i was going to that next weight and i had 600 pounds on there i stood up with 600 pounds and i put boxes under the weight plates so i could get them up high enough where i was standing up in a safe position instead of trying to like squat up 600 pounds yeah. and so i put these uh boxes under the weight plates. So I was standing up in a good position. What I didn't realize there was a half inch difference between the boxes. I, I just couldn't see it. And so I picked up 600 pounds and I started out and I got about three steps out. And I didn't realize the left side was still dragging on the boxes. And all of a sudden, 300 pounds gave way, swung out hard, which then obviously twisted me and 
I went backwards, landed, I broke my neck. I landed on the bar and broke my neck because the bar stopped on the boxes. I snapped my seat. I fractured my C5. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I was more indignant that I had fallen and I couldn't put my weights away. Right. It, it wasn't so much embarrassment. It was just indignation. I was indignant with the fact that I wasn't going to put away my weights. My, my little sister was with me and she's like, do not move. I like, I got to put the weights away. She's like, you're hurt. I said, probably. So I'm going to go to the hospital, but I'm going to put my weights away first. She's like, you're not putting your weights away. You're not carrying because I had a hundred pound sandbag with me. She's like, you're not carrying that out to the car. You're not putting away all the plates. I'll get someone else to put them away. Um, but it's more indignant being indignant about stuff, right. Than it, so much embarrassment. It just, I have my ideals. I, I have failed over and over again, but I stopped being embarrassed about it so long ago because it just never served a purpose for me. Yeah. Instead, it just makes me mad. I, I get frustrated <laughs> with myself. It's like, man, you, you calculated that wrong or you screwed that up, didn't you? But I don't get embarrassed about it anymore. Uh, yeah. I'd love to say there was that great moment where I just tanked something. And uh, I think the last time I was somewhat embarrassed was in high school and I, I tanked a dive. My coach had me change up my form, literally change the form of the way I was doing the dive 30 seconds before I was supposed to do it on comp competition. A dive I trained for months and months. He had, he's like, look, if you don't throw it the way I'm telling you to throw it, just stand down, you're done. I'll, I'll just pull you from the roster. You're going to do it this way. So I changed it up and attempted it in a way I had never done before competition. And it was bad, man. I landed flat on my back. I mean, straight iron cross flat on my back on the surface of the water. And when you land that way on a dive, it takes a second for you to sink. Yeah. And so like, you're trying not to scream in pain <laughs> before you sink underwater because you don't want to see everybody like just full blown see you like freak. Yeah. I mean, I was in incredible amounts of pain. And so I'm just kind of holding my breath, waiting to sink so I can scream underwater. I managed to pull myself out of the pool and stumble over to a warm-up mat before I went lost consciousness. Crazy. Like I, I stumbled about 10 feet over to our warm-up section where there was like a wrestling mat on the ground because it's a concrete pool deck and just hit the ground and went out. I woke up, my dad, my girlfriend, my coach, my teammates are all around me trying to bring me back conscious. Like I realized this whole invitational, right? There's multiple teams there. This whole invitational has now stopped and is focused on the fact that I'm laying there unconscious. And my thought is I'm laying there unconscious in a Speedo, right? I have all these people over the top of me going, Brent, Brent, Brent. I'm like, I'm laying here half naked, man. I was like, <laughs> whole event is stopped and focused on me laying there unconscious like that's a little weird a little uncomfortable uh so i think honestly that was the last time i really felt embarrassed about something i'm sure there's probably something else but maybe i mentally blocked those i don't know yeah man that, that is some crazy stuff like i have experienced similar things but probably not from the height that you have experienced that how high was that a diving board I, it was no, it was a shallow, it was a one meter board. It was a, a small competition board in high school. They wouldn't let us compete at the three meter boards. Okay. Yeah. You had to play on them. We weren't allowed to compete on them. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's, uh, I know the feel when you <laughs> land like that. It's very, very sore. Um, so let's say you're, you're speaking in front of people and 
and I don't know if this ever happened to you, like you're speaking or you're singing, you forgot the lyrics or you forgot your sermon and you're like, uh, like wh what goes through your mind? Because a lot of people can go through like, oh, I'm a failure. I, I'm so embarrassed. I can't do this again. Versus like, how do you immediately just switch to, you know, improvising and, and I, I found out a long time ago that you play it off like it's no big deal and it's no big deal. It only becomes a really big deal when you make a big deal out of it. Uh, the crowd will respond to your lead on things. You're the person who's up there leading things anyways. The crowd responds to how you respond. So if you freak out, they're going to, yeah, they start laughing. If you're like, because I've done it, I, I've been up leading a song and I started like a totally different song and got like two lines into it and just stopped. And everybody stopped and they're kind of looking at me. I was like, well, I blew that, didn't I? Let's see if I can do it right this time. And just started the right song. Um, I've frozen up in the middle of a sermon before where I totally lost track of, I write bullet points. I don't write out my whole, if I'm talking, even when I'm doing my podcast, I write bullet points for a run of show. And usually I color code it, not for anything specific other than so my eyes can differentiate between points very quickly. And I've always done, I, I learned how to do that writing sermon notes. And so I was going along and I had written out more of a paragraph than normal because I really wanted to make sure. Yeah, that was bad. Like I, I lost right in the middle of it and had kind of stopped. I'm like, Oh, there I was. And I laughed it off. I, I looked at the audience. I stepped out from behind the podium. I was like, see, this is what happens when I try and take notes instead of just writing bullet points, guys. Sorry about that. So what I was saying and went right back into it. And most people, because they don't want to be where you're at. Yeah. <laughs> so many people are afraid of speaking. They don't criticize because they, they don't want to be up there. None of them had the gumption to stand up and do it. And that, that's the reality is people get really self-conscious about things, but the majority of people just react how you react to it because they don't have the courage themselves or the drive themselves to get up. And they're sitting there going, wow, you showed up. Wow. You got up there and did that yeah. at the gym. People get really self-conscious about going like newbies at the gym. always get really self-conscious like, oh, well, I'm not in good enough shape or I'm overweight or I don't really have. Dude, everybody who's at the gym, A, is focused on their workout, and B, you, you showed up. You win. You, you already won as far as they're concerned. You showed up. So what if you're heavy? You're choosing to be somewhere to do something about it. You showed up. That's, that's huge. And most people in the gym, I mean, you get jerks everywhere, right? You get, you get those people. But the majority of people going to the gym, they're not watching you. They don't care. And if they do see you, they're going, hey, good for you. They may not say it out loud, but they're saying, Hey, good for you. You chose to show up. You know, they're not going, Oh, he's heavy. They're going, Hey, look, he's doing something to choose to take control of his life. That's, that's a win, right? Speaking's the same way. You got up there <laughs> 10 seconds currents. You got it. And that's what it takes. There are days, man. You step. I, I have been right before I do my live streams. I have some uh, countdown music for my live stream. And one of the podcasters I've worked with several times was filling in for me one night because I got called into my nine to five job. So he bailed me out. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. So sorry, brother. I got, 
I got my notes outlined, but you can do anything you want, but I need you to take my live stream tonight. It's too late to cancel it. I'm like, I got called in like an hour and a half before I was supposed to go live. And so he took it for me and I was watching the show from work so I could be in the comments. And he's like, man, Brent put some really good music, man. You can't, you can't help but feel pumped. That music is there for me. <laughs> That's the final two minutes before I go live. And I am in here with my camera off, just like head banging and bouncing up and down. And I am psyching myself up because my breath still disappears a little bit. That 10 seconds before it goes live, that last it, there's that you know, short, okay, this is real. I'm, this is legit. I'm going to do this, right? Yeah. 10 seconds of courage goes a long way. But most people are not willing to put themselves out there. They're not willing to stand in front of whoever. They're afraid of the criticism. They're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of failure. And most people who are watching things, whether it's a live crowd at work or whatever, they're just wishing they had the cojones to step up. Yeah. I like it the way that you phrased it is that when you're speaking in front of other people, it's like you're still in charge, you're still leading. So yeah. their response will determine, uh, uh, be dependent on how you respond to your own failure because you're still leading your own failure. That, that's a good way of seeing it. Like, have you ever heard of Liver King, Brian Johnson? Maybe. I, I go through a lot of stuff. So I, I can't say it again. Liberty? Liver, liver King. It's a carnivore. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so he, he's like buff, really buff, really ripped, yeah. good looking, a big beard as well. Um, so one of the things he once said, like he was, he likes to get a, at, um, attention to himself, basically to just get the message out of this ancestral living. So he was doing um, some shoots in New York and he was like without a shirt. He was like having kettlebells and a backpack and everything. He was on a train without a shirt. And he was mm -hmm. on a podcast with someone else and at that the host asked him like, you know, are you self-conscious? Like when you are out in front of other people doing all this crazy stuff. And he was like, no, because it's me getting in shape. I'm getting in shape. And these people aren't getting in shape. <laughs> I'm doing this for me. I don't care what other people say. And it's like, when I'm, out, when I'm out rollerblading, it's like, I'm doing the rollerblading. I took the courage to do this. My dogs are getting excellent exercise. This is doing me so good. Even if I bail, even if something embarrassing happens, I'm still the guy doing it. Other people haven't taken the courage to do this. So even if you bail, you're still motivating other people to kind of like do the same thing, to try something new, to have some courage to do something exciting. Well, and you, you have to gain perspective, right? For that perspective is so important, right? Even if you do something embarrassing, how much fun is it going to be later when you're sitting around with your friends? You're like, <laughs> dude, you will not believe the stupid stuff that happened to me. Yet. Oh, right. You're going to enjoy telling that story to your friends, the people <laughs> you're comfortable being vulnerable with. Yeah. Right. And so that's something I have always had is just that perspective of nobody's perfect. Right. I, I watched my dad stand in front of people for years, my whole life. And we, I grew up, not only did he work for churches, he did a lot of like, he used to coordinate very large scale events. Uh, he had one event that he used to that actually brought us to the area I live in now, 6,000, 7,000 people in attendance for four days. You know, we rented out a college campus over on the West side of the state by the Seattle area. And so, you know, I've seen him stand there in front of thousands of people and I've seen him mess up in front of thousands of people. And 
dude, my dad never missed a step. He laughed. So like that big belly laugh right there on stage at his own mistake. And the audience would laugh with him. And he'd be like, well, let me try that one again. You know, just no big, like boss level. Yes, I made a mistake and I think it's funny too. You can laugh, but we're just going to keep rolling. It's cool. (laughs) And the minute you take that perspective, right? And then, right, I'm here on a podcast with you and I can tell stories on myself. I, there's just nothing that, I've had all these experiences and I hope somebody can laugh about some of them. I hope somebody takes something valuable out of them. If anything, I'm at a point in my life where that's my perspective is if I tanked something and you can learn from that, that's awesome. If you get some humor on it, Hey, you got to smile today. That's enough for me. I helped you smile today. I don't mind. I, it doesn't embarrass me. So, you know, if, if I can help put a smile on your face, maybe you needed that today. Maybe you can learn something from what I screwed up, right? It gives us those failures are just part of who you are. And sometimes it takes time to develop a perspective where you can like, no, it's okay. You know, I get it. If, if you happen to like, you know, walk out into your work, everybody's worst nightmare and step out of your apartment one day and there were 40 people standing outside and you realized you hadn't put on pants. I get, it may take you some time to get past that. Those people all thought it was hilarious, right? And in a day, a week, depending on your resilience levels, you're going to think it's hilarious. And you're going to be telling that story to your friends. And then you're going to be telling that story at the bar with your acquaintances and your friends, or maybe at work. Like, oh God, dude, I got ready for work the other day. And I was so focus on this deal we're trying to close today i managed to walk out of my apartment without my pants on thank god i didn't get to the cab right y'all are gonna be laughing about that it just hum- it, those those are funny events that happen and they happen to everybody it's just how removed you are from it and after you realize that you can get to a point where you're like now that was pretty funny i i totally screwed that up yeah yeah. So, so on your hat, it says essential masculinity. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. Um, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about pendulums. I think masculinity is essential. I think that's part of what's wrong with culture today is we have pushed men away from the traditional masculine culture that men were raised with traditionally in the name of empowering women. Now, I have two daughters, okay? I have seven nieces. I am surrounded by women. I have multiple sister-in-laws. I was raised with a house with a lot of women in it. I got nothing wrong. I want women to have all kinds of rights, okay? People are like, oh, you're anti-feminine. No, no, I'm, I'm really not. But I don't think that women being empowered requires men to be not empowered, and that's where we get back in that pendulum conversation, right? We, we have this absurd com- idea that for, feminine, for feminism to be empowered, for women to be empowered and to be in their own power, right? And to live to their full extent and live the way they're meant to live, right? Somehow we have to suppress men. Likewise, we get in this other concept of, oh, for men to be men, we have to, women have to, no, no, we, we compliment, Right. All you have to do is look at the world. The whole world testifies to the concept 
And I don't know how it is where you were. All of us, like in sixth grade, seventh grade, for some reason, we would draw the yin yang symbol on everything. I don't know why we all thought that was cool in sixth and seventh grade, but there is some absolute truth in that, right? Women also have testosterone in their body, just considerably less than men. Men also have estrogen in their body, just considerably less than women, right? We're two halves of a whole. People get really bent on marriage relationships, right? Uh, the old traditional marriages, um, honor, respect, right? And when we're like, oh, no, I'm not going to kneel to my husband. No, that's not what that's about. It, it's, it's a trust to have that really serious, in-depth marital relationship that works, right? My wife submits to me on certain things, not because she has to, not because she's forced to. It is an act of love on her part to trust me and say, Hey, I trust that you are placing the well-being of us and our family and our future ahead of everything else. I believe that that is what you are doing. And so I'm going to let you make this decision. I'm going to put this in your hands because I trust you to lead us in a positive direction. Likewise, I make some submissions to my wife. We started homeschooling our children this year. I'm trying to build a business. This takes a lot of my time, as you know, as a podcaster, right? YouTube, podcasting, it takes time. And it's a piece of what I'm doing, right? There's more to it. So there are a lot of things when it comes to our, my children's education. We talked about it. My wife presented several ideas and said, hey, this is what I'm looking at doing. This is the curriculum I'd like to use. This is what the schedule will look like. And I went, I, I can't go through all that right now. She's like, I'm not asking you to go through all it right now. I want to show you what I am thinking is the right choice. And I went, okay, then let's do it. Right. We actually just took out a uh, home equity line of credit on our house. It, it's a significant amount of money. And my wife is the one who does, she, she's a bookkeeper on the side. I don't, I don't, I don't even know how much I make. Not because I don't, have that option. I just don't care. I, I get paid for my nine to five job. It goes straight to our bank account. I don't look at our bills. I don't know what our bills cost. I really don't. My wife is better at that than I am. And it stresses me out really badly. So she has done our books for years. She's done our bills for years. I have no idea how much my cell phone bill is or anything. I can't tell you what my mortgage is. Sadly, I, I, I just don't know because I don't care. Because I trust that my wife is acting in our best interest. She, our budget is available, right? She shares it with me. I can pull it up anytime on my phone and look at our budget. I can see the exact, I have access to everything. I can see every transaction happening. I don't look because I don't worry about it. I submit to my wife that she is better at managing our finances than I am, right? It, it's a trust and it's the same thing. Masculine there are a lot of really healthy masculine traits that shape the world in a better way. Look at the world around us. Okay. Those skyscrapers in every city, those were built by men. Who keeps the power on? Like literally who, who works at the power plants most of the time, who works in the sewers most of the time, who's up, who are out there. The majority, I used to be uh, working in electrical unions. The majority of linemen are men. There are some female linemen, 
but not near as many. There are some women in the trades, not near as many, right? Men are out there doing those jobs that are hard. And it's not that women can't do them. It's just not traditionally where they excel or what they want to do. And that's fine. We're different creatures. But you look through nature, right? There's a male and a female. There's a yin and yang of almost everything, right? Global warming has global cooling, right? We've had lots of ice ages in the history of the planet. Uh, men and women, every species of man, mammal has a male and female, and that's how they reproduce, right? We're made to come together. And when you suppress either of those things, they don't work in harmony. When you come together, my friends run a marriage, a marriage channel on YouTube and podcast, and they have a shirt that's called marriage math. And it says one and has a solid one on it plus one. And it's just an outline equals one. And it's the solid one with the outline around it. Right. And it's just saying that, Hey, you know, I came together, you came together. We don't stop existing. I don't stop being me. My wife didn't stop being her. We're two separate people together. We make something bigger than us. And that we didn't stop existing because we made something bigger than us. We still exist, exist individually. My wife still does things with her friends. I still do things with my friends. We still have different tastes. We still have different ideas. My wife loves to travel. She likes to go to new places. I'm a homebody, right? Together, we build something bigger. And that's the way masculinity and femininity are meant to work, right? There's some hugely powerful traits that are feminine. There's some hugely powerful traits that are masculine and they're meant to complement each other. And I think that's part of the reason that biologically, right? We share some of those traits. We have some uh, estrogen in our body, right? We have the same capability to understand some of those things, to see things from their point of view. Comes down to being willing to do the work sometimes, right? There's that old cliche book, uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, not overly impressed with the book, but it did introduce a really valid concept of we have some work because we are different. The, this whole modern argument of gender fluidity and stop me if I get you in trouble on this one uh, is it, it's nonsense. Okay. We all know women who um, like I follow some women on YouTube and social media, uh, Stephanie, Steffi Cohen, world record power lifter amazing athlete, Dr. Stephanie Cohen. Most people didn't realize she was finishing her doctorate while setting multiple world records and opening a gym, right? Amazing woman. She has a work ethic that is just second to none. Does she possibly have a little more testosterone in her system than the average woman? Likely. If she didn't before, mainly just because she puts in so much muscle building work that increases testosterone in the body, right? That's biology. We know that as you build muscle, it increases the amount of testosterone in your system. Okay. So we all know women who can put on muscle a little easier or who have a little square of a jawline that we generally associate with men. We all know men who are a little more in touch with their feelings are struggle to be as physically present in some guys, right? They just can't put it on any size. They aren't very, uh, they don't put on muscle very easily. And we would call them more effeminate. They have a little more estrogen in their system than the average guy. But what that says is 
we have bits of each other in ourselves so we can understand each other. If we were the same, life would be boring. I think all of us would be really like miserable if we were all just the same because that would suck. I'm kind of fond of my wife. I don't want her to be anything like me. I, I, don't, I don't want my wife to have a beard. It's not, not my thing. Yeah. My wife has grown to love the beard. She didn't used to, but she's learned to appreciate it. Uh, I had a goatee for most of my, since I was 15, I've had a goatee, but I didn't start having a beard until about 10 years ago, except during the winter. And I grow it out because I worked outside, but we complement each other. I have masculine traits, my strength, my inclination to lead, right? I'm more inclined to lead just instinctively than women are most of the time. Not that women can't lead. I know a lot of great female leaders. And as we said earlier, anybody can learn to be a great leader, but men are more inclined. Like we naturally instinctually migrate towards, oh, we need to lead in this scenario, right? I have the, just the men actually biologically have a farther field of vision. Our senses are sharper in some extents. Uh, And that is, what's the word? Um, uh, Evolution, right? That's evolutionary biology. Men were responsible for protecting. So certain, our field of vision actually got farther out so we could see something coming at a greater distance. That's biology, right? We all have those things that we come together. Men have a better ability, or I say not a better, an easier ability to suppress our emotions and not get emotional about something. Why? It's because it's evolutionary biology. Men have been in those roles where we had to protect, right? We go back, you know, 100 years, we go back 200 years. Men had to protect. They couldn't think about the fallout. They had to be in the moment and put the emotion aside and just protect, right? Or provide. They had to get out and do it. Didn't matter how they felt about it. And so we instinctually have an ability to separate that back. Uh, There's a book called, you should check this one out. It's an older book called Men Are Waffles, Women Are Spaghetti. (laughs) And it's uh, two doctors wrote it together, a husband and wife team. And it's about the difference in the way men and women think. Men compartmentalize things like waffles, like all little squares and waffles. Men compartmentalize things like the old tape machines you see in movies where it grabs like one tape at a time and injects it, right? That's the way a man's brain thinks. Women, it all goes in there and they can start here. <laughs> that piece of spaghetti is going to touch every emotion and every other thought. And that's why so many women, <laughs> you can start the conversation here in five minutes, you're over here right? It, it's, it's not a mock. It's just a difference in the way we think and work, oh. right? But it only really shines when those two can complement each other, right? They have their, they both have their purpose. They both have their place. Taking away masculinity as we've tried to empower women is breaking that down. We don't have those traits being as affirmed as much. We aren't encouraging them as much. The more we take things out of balance, right? The more we take masculinity out of play as much, we're going to get out of balance again. Uh, I, I like, I watch the stock market. I don't know if you do, 
yeah. right? There's something in the stock market known as a correction, right? You'll, you see ups and downs all day long and you'll see a crazy spike. Something will happen and a stock will spike up really high and then they'll have what's called a correction a day, a couple hours or a day later, it will kind of level back out to what it's really actually worth, right? There was a bunch of hype about something. So it spiked up really high and then it'll correct the actual value based on the company, not hype. The same thing happens, right? We're got a lot of hype about empowering women and feminism, which I still don't understand because women have more rights and more power than they have at any time in history, but we're still into feminism. But the more we swing this way and take this piece out, right? The more we attack masculinity, the more we discourage boys from being combative, the more, more we discourage them from, you know, embracing their aggression and learning to control it, right? They're taking tag out of schools. They're taking dodgeball out of schools, right? We're trying to get men, boys to be less combative, less aggressive. Well, what happens when we tell an entire generation or two generations or three generations of young men that everything they instinctively feel at a biological level is not only wrong, it makes them bad, right? We haven't, we haven't begun to deal with the fallout of that yet, but that's what's, that's what's coming next is we're going to have a massive fallout because all these boys were told for years that their instinctual feelings were wrong and it made them bad people to have those feelings. We're doing massive psychological damage. And we're also robbing ourselves because all of a sudden, who's, who's going to fight those wars? I, I hate the fact that war exists, okay? I never, never want to see conflict like that, but it's going to. It's always going to exist. There's never been a time in the history of the world that there isn't some kind of conflict. There's just too many people with different ideals and views, and, and that, that's what makes us people. Who's going to fight those wars? Effeminate boys don't want to fight. China is finding this out. I, I read an article earlier this year where China is trying to butch up their men because they've been working to make them more effeminate for years and less masculine. And now they're in a bad situation because their population is dro dropping, birth rates are dropping, and they can't find people to fill those roles that are traditionally filled by men. We have a place, everybody has a place. And the more we mess with that, the more we're in trouble. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I didn't know that about China. That's interesting. But I wonder how much like of the pollution and uh, because I know it's like heavily polluted, like especially in the cities, if it's like air pollution, those kind of stuff, how that affects, uh, you know, whatever's going on, like the 5G. And I think that's, that can also affect the, uh, the birth rate and whatnot. But I, I wasn't aware of kind of like that they as well, they were trying to feminize their men and stuff. So that's definitely new to me. That's bad. It's bad. Um, it, I think people are just overcorrecting with a lot of stuff. It's kind of like the same thing with racism. It was kind of like too much to one side, but at least here in South Africa, they're trying to overcorrect. Never try, really try finding that uh, middle ground there. And it's like 20 years equality. later, you know. Right. Equality. Now we're swinging to that far other end. Yeah. We're seeing that here in the US with like Black Lives Matters. It's like, Yes, there should always be equality, but 
now you're trying to swing the other way and it's becoming popular to be racist against white people. It wasn't okay to be racist against black people. It's, it's not okay to be racist against anybody, but why are we doing this? Let's just do this. Let, let's come here to the middle and just all see the value in each other. Yeah. So, so you've mentioned um, specific traits. What are the seven traits or how many traits ever you can mention that every man should help to develop in himself to be a better man? Oh man, I wish I knew you were asking this question because I would have just like pulled it up from my notes. I think it's essential for every man to work on developing his integrity, his honesty, his discipline, his self-awareness, who he is and what he needs to do to grow personally, right? Um, I'm going to say that humility is a trait that every man needs to grow. And then from there, I think we break into we break into more leadership traits. Um, every man should work on learning to lead because at one point in your life, you're going to be called on to. There will be a moment in every life where you are called to step up, especially as a man. It, it's just going to happen. So I think that's something we should all work on. And then work ethic, right? Nothing is ever coming easy. Uh, I, lo I love the seal, Navy SEAL saying the only easy day was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. right? I, I work a full-time nine to five job in the IT industry. And it was killing me sitting in a cubicle. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And that's why I started doing uh, the Spartan races and the Tough Mudders, right? The obstacle course races. I needed to get physical again. So I started doing those and I started getting back into a gym routine. I had broken uh, my gym routine for several years as I was transitioning from doing construction into IT. And so it's like, okay, I've, I've stabilized my career now. I, I took the time and learned and needed to. I've stabilized my career. But there's that physicality that I needed. So I had to get back into that mode, right? And it's that work ethic. It's not easy. It's not easy to learn to improve yourself mentally and take on a new career. It's not easy to go and get into a good gym routine. It's not easy to make healthy food choices all the time if you haven't always. It's not easy to build that side hustle you've always wanted to. And it's going to take discipline and it's going to take work ethic. You've got to put your head down. You've got to be willing to show up every day. You've got to be willing to put in the laps. You have to be, or put in the reps, however you want to say it, right? You got to be willing to put in the reps. And that takes work ethic. You have to get off the couch. You have to learn to give up some creature comforts. I, I all but stopped watching television, right? I transitioned. Roughly 10 years ago, I transitioned from construction to IT. When I was 30, 31 years old, I transitioned from being a construction worker to working in IT. I knew nothing. I, I knew how to run my computer. <laughs> okay, click, click, yeah, you know. And I probably had a little more working knowledge of it than some people do because I've always uh, embraced computers and technology that way. 
but I had to switch from being a construction worker to into the IT sector because I was breaking my body. I, I've done enough damage over the years. I, I've lived a full life, no regrets at all, but I have racked up the injuries. I broke my spine twice now. Uh, an injury is what ruined my military career. I mean, I, I have racked up the injuries more than I can name in a podcast even. And so my friend told me, he's like, dude, you're, you're killing yourself. You're 30 years old. You can't crawl in and out of utility vaults on the ground. You can't go up and down 30 foot ladders all day long anymore. You can't keep dragging a hundred pounds of cable across the floor and through the rafters and stuff like that. You need to start working on your mind and learn to make a living with your brain instead of your body, which was a very foreign concept. After I gave up ministry, I just went into construction because this is what I used to do before that. And it was hard. Like I, I totally gave up my gym habit for a while and every time minute I wasn't working, I was studying. And at 30 years old, I don't have any formal education other than high school. And so at 30 years old, I'm starting over. I'm learning new skills. I'm learning things I've never done before. And I'm working a full-time job and trying to pay my bills and trying to better my life. And it was hard. Once that stabilized, right, I had to get back in because of the spinal injuries, I actually have to maintain a certain amount of gym lifestyle. The muscle is what stabilizes my lower spine. I, I fractured uh, one of my lower lumbar just above my hips. I fell 20 feet and landed on a church pew and just fractured that. I took 20 staples up here in the head, uh, spent multiple days in neuro ICU for the brain damage. So if I don't maintain a certain amount of muscle in my spine, like deadlifts are my, I love deadlifts because if I don't maintain that muscle in my spine, my back slips out of place and it slips far enough. Like I lose, first I lose feeling in my legs and then I lose the ability to walk. So this is like uh, critical to my life to maintain this, right? So now I'm stabilizing in IT and I am starting to have more problems with my back because I've been out of the gym. So now I'm in a new career and I'm having to, get back in the gym and rebuild the muscles around my, the rectors around my spinal column again. Right. There's just no end. When I started squatting again, like I couldn't put 90 pounds across my back without crying. Like the weight of it pressing down my spine was excruciating. So work ethic is there, there is no easy right now. I'm working a full-time job and we have some big changes going on at that job. I'm trying to encourage my wife as she is homeschooling our kids working her own business. I'm trying to build a business and keep up with all that and still be a dad and a husband and encourage other men. There is no in. I told you when we started like my calendar, I live and breathe by my calendar. And it's because if I don't schedule it, like I have time on Wednesdays, I don't do anything on Wednesday. I have my nine to five job. It ends about four o'clock in the afternoon. The rest of that day, I don't do anything else for any of my other jobs. That is my, from the time I get home, till my, put my children to bed that their time period. I have one day a week, but my children have to be on my calendar to make sure I'm spending quality time with them. Cause otherwise I work nonstop. I get up at 4 AM and I don't stop until I go to bed at nine or 10. That's just how it is. Men have to develop work ethic if they want to achieve their goals, if they want to develop who they are and they need those other six things in a big way because those will let you take that work ethic and soar with it. But you've got to 
build the work ethic. And there's no other way around it than just, just do hard work. Put yourself to the test. Hold yourself accountable again and again and again. And there's nothing that can stop you. That is true. So back to role model. Um, everyone in some point of their life to someone is a role model if they want to be or not, which makes it so important to make the best of yourself because you don't choose to be a role model. You know, someone just looks at you and it's like, they look up to you, like you have a lot of muscle. Uh, you must be excellent in the gym. I look up to you for that or whatever the case may be. So how can someone become like, clearly that shows that you should be focusing on becoming a better role model, but how can someone like cultivate the, the desire, the knowledge, like where should I focus on to become a better role model? You, you should focus on you. Yeah. That's where, no, that's, that's where it all starts. And I mean, that's one of the things we try and encourage her at the foul man. Right. I actually make a shirt that says, you know, uh, choose wisely because little eyes are always watching. The only thing you have absolute control over at this point in your life is you. The only thing you have control over anytime is you. So if you want to be a good role model, that means you have to become a good version of you. You have to put in the reps and become the person that you want to become. You have to put in the reps and become the person that you would look up to. For you to become the role model, someone worth looking up to, someone who when someone looks at them, whether they know it or not, is having a positive impact on that person who's looking at them. You have to put in the reps to become the very best version of you. If you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and don't like who you are, the only way that gets better is if you choose to make it better. If you look at yourself and don't see somebody who is living a way in which you would want other people are, you know, feel okay with other people emulating, no one can fix that but you, right? The only way to fix that, uh, Michael Jackson said famously one of, in one of his songs years ago, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. There is a lot of wisdom in that sentiment. And it is, that's what you can control, right? I want men to become better men. A, because I think every man should find out what he is capable of. I think at some point in your life, you should do everything you can to become the man that you wish you were, the man that you look at, right? I think every man should find out what his full potential is. And in that journey, you improve yourself by, uh, by and large, as you improve yourself, you improve your immediate circle, right? Whether that's a spouse or kids or friends, by improving yourself, you improve the circle around you that's immediate close. Then that until improves people around them right? It's a ripple effect, but that's all you can control. You can't control. No one else can make you better. No one else can make you that person that child should look up to, or that person should look at, right? Only you have that ability. So if you want to become that role model, whether that's in general or in something specific, you have to put in the reps to become the person that you want someone to look at. 
That's all yeah. you can control. Do you have I'm any doing, tips? Yeah, sorry, continue. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting ready to do, I told you, uh, my first in-person event. I, I've got it capped at 100 men because I want to put on such an incredible experience for them and encourage them because this is what I can control, right? I can control the quality of the event that they're inspired by. But because I do that, if those men are inspired and moved, then they go out and they start to make their lives better. And by doing, making their lives better, that event is now impacting their entire circle, right? I can't change every man. I can't help every man. So I'm starting with a small group and saying, hey, I'm going to put this on. So you are motivated, encouraged, and equipped to be your best self too. And we're specifically talking about father figures and role models at this event, right? If I can encourage those men to take action in their lives and become the best version of themselves, then I immediately impact everybody around them. And that, that's all you can do. Do you have any tips for someone to focus on improving themselves? Because she's like, you have to focus on yourself. So because let's say you're, you're at home, you're at your work, you don't always have that opportunity or you're not always pressured. Um, let's take, for example, someone has anger issues, right? Like they're not always in a situation where they are angered. So they don't have a lot of time to work on it because let's say they are only triggered once or twice a week. And then sometimes you just let it fly or whatever the case may be with someone. How can they, because a lot of traits that you have to focus on, is there any tips that someone can do that can yes. easily help them to self-improve? Well, absolutely. And, and in, in the anger issue, you're not going to achieve anything about dealing with it while you're angry anyway. That's not when you fix anger issues. You have to fix anger issues when you're not angry because when you're angry, you're not thinking straight. You have to develop yourself to where you don't let your emotions override yourself to fall into that anger issue. You have to learn to recognize the triggers that are coming and go, okay, you know, wait, wait, this is escalating. I need to step away, right? You need clarity to start to fix that. And you can't do that in the heat of the moment. But, you know, easy tips is, it's just a matter of, you have to have the honest conversation. So I, I did a show the other day called The Man in the Mirror. And let me be very honest. I, every morning, get up every day. And the first thing I do is I go up to my bathroom and I stop in my bathroom and look at the man in the mirror. And I have a deep, short, honest conversation with the man I see. Like I literally have this conversation in my head, sometimes out loud. I argue with myself, but I look at the man in the mirror and go, yep, you still need to lose some weight, dude. I'm, I'm not happy with the way you're looking. And if I'm not happy with how you're looking out here, that means there's more stuff inside that we need to be concerned about, right? Excess body fat out here means there's excess body fat around my organs. That's not healthy. That's not good for my children, right? That's not good for my wife. So, you know, I pick myself apart and I do, I have this honest conversation because you have to have an honest conversation with yourself and you have to get brutally honest with yourself and go, where do I need to improve? What about myself do I not approve of? Do I not like? Do I not like the way I look? Do I not like the fact that I get angry and have these angry outbursts? Do I not like the fact that I drink more than I should or that I sit in front of the television too much? Do I not like the fact that 
I don't feel fulfilled at my job, right? The first and most important thing anybody has to do to start to grow, to improve, is you have to have that honest conversation with yourself. And I mean, it's, it's painful, okay? It's really hard. You want to lie to yourself. Let me be really clear about this. You want to lie to yourself because it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. And your body, your subconscious wants homeostasis. Your body does not want you to change. Your body wants to maintain both physically, emotionally, and mentally. Your body wants to maintain. It's all about homeostasis. That's why it's hard to lose weight. That's why it's hard to put on muscle. Your body is about maintaining maximal efficiency mentally and physically. So it, you, you lie to yourself. When we talk to ourselves in the mirror, we lie to ourselves all the time. And we tell ourselves those sweet little lies like, you can have that extra bag of Doritos. That ice cream won't hurt you. It's okay that, yeah, it's, it's a dad bod. It's not unhealthy, right? I hate the whole dad bod fad. Um, you lie to yourself, but you have to start with that honest conversation. It's just like if you've ever dealt with an addiction in your life, you can't quit smoking unless you decide you want to quit smoking. I tried for years and years. I smoked for years and I tried for years and years and years to quit smoking. And I would quit and start and quit and start and qu for over a decade. It took me actually deciding I don't want this around my children. And I never smoked around my kids, but I didn't even want to see them see me go outside to have a cigarette because I don't want them to ever deal with that. I don't want that to ever be advice for them. I had to hit a point where there was a deep enough why for me, for me to want change. And you have to do the same thing with yourself. You have to find a deep enough why. Why do I want to improve? Why do I want to change? And then you have to get really honest about what needs to change. Maybe you need less screen time. Maybe you need more books. If you're not happy with your job, well, spend less time on social media and more time on Udeme or something like that, right? If you're not happy with where you are in life, you can't say you want change and not have your lifestyle reflect that. If you say you want to change, but you're spending all the time in front of the television or a video game or on social media, you don't actually want to change. You can say it all you want, but your money and time reflect what's important to you. That's yeah. If you really want to find out what's important in your life, guys, is you're having this honest conversation with yourself, track your expenditures, both time-wise and financially. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? That's what's important to you. Yeah. Whether you think that's what's important to you is irrelevant. That is what is important to you. So you can start that honest conversation right there. Just audit your life really hard. Where am I spending my money? Where am I spending my time? But until you're ready to have that honest conversation go, I am not happy with the way my life is going because I want to make a better living so I can do these things. Well, A, why do you want to do those things? because that's got to be a really strong why and B you have to identify what's keeping you from doing those things. Yeah. That's where the conversation starts. That's where personal development happens. You have to identify what the problem is. You have to identify the roadblocks. You have to identify why you want to change them before you can ever change or improve yourself. Yeah. There was a, I can't remember the pastor's name right now, but he, um, uh, his whole thing 
was to say, let's just laugh at that. And that was so helpful to me and my wife like a couple of years ago because we were going through some trouble times. So you get angry, you get depressed, you get everything that comes with having a hard time. And then he always says that you can't have like anger and laughter. You can't have depression and laughter. You can't have those at the same time. Mm-hmm. And lots of times, like as we talked about, like, you know, you're embarrassed, something happened, you're embarrassed. Well, if you laugh about it, that, that's what your father did. That's what you do. You, you like laugh about it and everyone laughs with you about it. And it just continues like, I'm feeling so depressed. Oh, I'm feeling so angry. This is this is making me so angry. It's like, let's just laugh at that. And then you realize like, okay, this is stupid. This is silly. I'm overreacting because sometimes that, that you know, anger just comes like that. You're just flipping. It's not building. It's just like, ah, oh, I'm freaking out. It's like, okay, let's just take a moment. Let's just laugh at this. Okay, this is ridiculous. Let's move on. So hopefully that trick can help some of the audience people here. Um, so I have one last question for you. And that is about leadership. We talked about like that's an alpha trait. And I was kind of like an introvert, as I mentioned, you know, in school. I never wanted to speak up. I never felt like people, I had anything valuable to say, you know. So even though like take the courage to speak up in a, in a meeting. But to me, that always felt like, who cares? No one's going to care what I say. It's like, hey, shut up. Like, I don't know. You know, that's kind of like silly. But that was kind of like going on in my head. So yeah. how can someone cultivate that leadership? And I'm even thinking of something silly, like you're in a building, there's a fire and you have to be like, everyone go to that door over there. We're going to get out. Even in something silly like that, you, you question yourself. How can you overcome that, the self that, how can you grow in yourself to be that leader? 10 seconds of courage, man. It, it really is. I, I, I know it sounds oversimplified and I, I'm not trying to, uh, belittle the concern, right? I'm not trying to lessen. It, it is a legitimate fear for a lot of people. But you are 100% capable of 10 seconds of courage. Now, is everybody going to follow when you try and lead? No. But I know great leaders that not everybody listens to what they say, right? Think, think of some of the amazing people that you look up to as leaders in the world, right? whether that's in your life at the local level or on a bigger level, does everybody listen to what they say? I mean, do, do we, do we have one single person that everybody goes, that dude's got it. We're all doing what, you know, the, the cult of Elon or whatever, you know, Elon's got it down. We're just going to listen to everything he says and follow what he says. Right. There isn't a single person in the history of the world that everybody agreed with and that everybody followed their lead. And there have been great leaders, right? You look back, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was astonishing. Uh, Winston Churchill, astonishing leader, right? Big names that people recognize, astonishing leaders. General George S. Patton, amazing. Did everybody listen to him? No. Did everybody do what he said? No. So if you're concerned that when you try no one's going to listen. You're not Patton. No one, not everybody listened to him. You're not Elon Musk and not everybody listens to him. You're not what, whatever figure that is that you look at and go, man, that guy's got it together. Dude. I just wish everybody would listen to him. He's, he's smart and charismatic and he has such great ideas. Not everybody's listening to him. No one gets a hundred percent of the yes. 
It's, it's just impossible. There are too many personalities. So if you're struggling with, well, why would anybody listen to me? Well, hey, guess what? I, I really don't consider myself a public fist figure yet. I, I'm not so big on YouTube that everybody knows my name. I'm, I'm a tiny little YouTuber. I'm a tiny little podcaster. I don't consider myself a public figure. And guess what? I still deal with imposter syndrome every single time I turn on the mic. Like I go through this every time I'm writing an interview, every time I'm getting ready to write a YouTube video. When I have my live event, I'm, I'm not speaking at the event. I'm emceeing the event. I'm bringing in a lot of other speakers. I guarantee you right before I turn on that microphone, there will be a deep breath and there will be 10 seconds of courage to step on that stage. And a lot of people think that I would have it together. A lot of people think that the person who's about to step up that mic has it together. There's a lot of people who think that it's that I I've spoken to podcasters who, you know, their following is a hundred times what mine is. Right. And we talked specifically about imposter syndrome. He's like, you know, you've done, cause I've done 91 published shows now on my podcast alone. And every turn time I turn on the mic, I'm still thinking, why would anybody listen to me? Who am I? To tell anybody, any, that, that's why it's the fallible man. I wanted to be really upfront with people about, I don't have all the answers. I'm on a journey. I'm trying to encourage people to take their own journeys. And I'm trying to come alongside people in those journeys. But I know I don't have all the answers. I know people who are so much smarter than me. I mean, I, I look like an idiot compared to some of these guys. And every time they step up to the mic or to the camera, they're still having that doubt of why would anybody listen to me? My friend runs a marriage, uh, marriage counseling and relationship counseling service. He's a marriage coach, has a great podcast, has a great YouTube channel. He has clients. He is interacting daily with actual clients, getting paid for this, helping affect marriages. And every time he steps into the room with them, he has to take a deep breath and go, man, what do I have to, yeah, I've been married for 20 some years. What do I have to offer them, right? You can't actually care and not deal with that. Sociopaths, people who just want the fame, they can get away with that. But if you legitimately want to make a difference, if you legitimately want to help people, if you would legitimately want to lead, you cannot do that without having to have that moment of reflection and go, but I'm just me. Why would anybody listen? Why would anybody think my idea is good? Well, they might not, but not everybody thinks Elon Musk's ideas are good. Not everybody thought Trump's ideas were good. Not everybody thinks Biden's ideas are good. Not everybody thinks Bill Gates' ideas are all good, right? We see all these big people and they deal with it too. They put on their pants one leg at a time, just like you do. And so honestly, it's not that your feelings are invalid. And I would never want to say that it's that the difference is that 10 seconds of courage to go, you know what? I think I have a good idea and I'm going to share it. And what they do with that is entirely up to them. I, I can't control that. That's outside of your control. You cannot make somebody right. It's the lead a horse to wallet water metaphor. Uh, I was a cowboy and actually I, my first job, I was a ranch hand in central Wyoming. I, work cattle on horseback, like legitimately. And it's true. You can't make a 
horse drink. Okay. And it's the same thing. You can step up and offer the best ideas in the world. I've been shouted down in meetings where I am the professional at my job. Like I am the subject matter expert. Like it's part of my job title. And I have been shouted down in meetings when I'm like, no, legitimately, this is what we need to do. Okay. <laughs> this is why you pay me. And I still get shouted down. Okay. And I'm considered a subject matter expert. I, that's what they pay me for. Nope. I still get shouted down all the time. I'm like, here's what we need to do. This will solve this problem. Ah, all right. That's fine. Y'all can waste, you know, however many millions of dollars you want to, to fix this problem. And I work in an industry where that's the, that's a reality. Like the wrong choice is literally millions of dollars. I get shouted down all the time. No one is going to listen to you hundred percent of the time. Not everybody's going to listen to what you have to say. So all you can do is put it out there. And if you put it out there with honest intention, and I believe that is important, honest intention, you are trying to improve the situation. You are trying to help. You are trying to make a difference. You know, don't, don't step up in your company meeting and talk just to talk, throw out a legitimate idea. And they may turn around. I've, I've thrown out ideas in meetings before and had people go, you know, we actually thought of that Brent and because of this scenario, we can't apply that. Otherwise it might work. Okay. Well, I didn't have that piece of information, but my idea was valid. You're going to get in that situation where you have that opportunity to speak up. Not everybody's going to listen and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's going to approve. That's okay. What matters is that you tried that you took the minute and went in this moment, I'm going to step up and try to lead, try to share because I want to make a difference. It's amazing how people will respond to intent. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, so I ask all the questions. Do you feel there's anything that we might have skipped over or that you might want to elaborate one last time before we end the show? <laughs> I don't know that we skipped over anything, but really you owe it to yourself to find out what you are capable of. There, one of those famous philosophers talked about in the bodybuilding industry. It was, you know, one of those famous mid, uh, like the Da Vinci era guys, right. It's made some famous remark about every man owes it to himself to find out at one point in his life, his optimal physique, what his body can do. Uh, and, I, and I don't remember which guy it is off the top of my head, but it's actually a famous quote, right? He said it much more artistically than I did because I'm not that good. But I want to take that a step further. You owe it to yourself to find out what you're capable of because there's only one you. You are bringing something to the table that no one else does. Not this whole, you're a special snowflake nonsense. No, this. You are the sum of your life's experiences and the people around you and how you reacted to them. And so you have a spin that is unique to you. You owe it to yourself and to the rest of the world for that fact, but to yourself first to find out exactly how far you can go and who you can become. 
I really appreciate you coming on the show. I really enjoyed this episode. We shared so much knowledge, or at least you shared so much knowledge. <laughs> it was really insightful. <laughs> um, definitely worth it. Um, and for everyone listening, 10 seconds of courage. That's all you need. Um, it's amazing. Thank you for, again for joining me. Take care, Thank everyone. You.